Happy Father's Day. There's nothing greater, well, there is too, but I, than being a father, except that you fathered a child that's going to have a child. Now you're a grandfather. That's awesome. How many of you are grandfathers? Just making sure there's no women raised your hands, okay, because we're that straight church, okay? We own that straight and narrow path here, okay? So, <laughs> amen. It's so good to... So good to be in the house of the Lord today. I got, um, I'm going to do a little different today. I got a couple of videos I want to share throughout my message, and uh, we'll get you out of here so you can go um, buy your father some lunch. Amen. Maybe tomorrow, but we're going to get you out of here. Y'all ready for the first video? Go ahead. Good job, Lauren. Okay, I got it. Okay, don't forget to carry the one. Okay. That was delicious. Thank you. Right, hold on there, kiddo. Dad. Veggies. There you go. Okay, just one more. Hold your trophy up a little bit higher. Dad. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Dad. Love it. Um, no. Dad. Dad. And they were here first. So Dad. We... So you want to go catch a movie at like 7.30 or something? Dad. And one more. Okay, one more. Okay, let's go. Wait, wait, wait. Come on. Just one more. One more. Dad. I'm so proud of you. Now you just gotta get a job. Dad! You look beautiful. Oh, Dad. Uh, and stand just a little closer together and move just a little bit to the left, uh, my left, uh, a little more. Dad! Amen. That's, uh, I've heard that a few times. How many dads in here have heard that? Dad. Amen. I heard it a lot, and I'm glad I could hear it a lot because that means that I was involved in my kids' lives. Amen. I got a couple of sayings that I want to read today. Some people I have uh, looked up and pretty, pretty neat little sayings. Uh, Heidi Lamar said, I am not ashamed to say <clears throat> that no man ever that I ever met was my father's equal. And I never loved any other man as much. If you're still privileged to have your father with you and to be able to say that, that, that there's no equal to your father. You are a blessed person. You're blessed because a lot of men cannot say that. Al Unser said this, Dad taught me everything I know. Unfortunately, he didn't teach me everything he knows. Can I get a witness to some of you dads? That's the way I feel. I've taught my son a lot, but not everything I know. And if you don't believe it, you ask him. <laughs> Amen. Can I get a witness, Jason? Amen. George Herbert said this, One father is more than a hundred schoolmasters. And I believe that. 
fathers are, I know mothers, they say mothers are the anchor, but biblically fathers are supposed to be the anchor. Fathers are where the home starts and the foundation that we lay should come from the fathers. We're the disciplinaries. We're the teachers. We're, we are what God built the family unit on. Now, I know that's against popular belief, and I know that's contrary to the culture in, in the modern Christian church because men think that it's the woman's job to take care of the spiritual matters. Let me tell you how that's going. The world's in a mess. The church is in a mess because we decided we won't do it our way, and it's not God's way. One other is... Frank Butler said this, When I was 18, I thought my father was pretty dumb. After a while, when I got to be 21, I was amazed to find out how much he had learned in only three short years. Amen? Some of you fathers need, that's a good amen moment right there. I do believe that. I, I didn't think my father was that, uh, that sharp until I became a father. And uh, realized, man, he knows a lot of stuff. I might ought to call him on a few of these things. And, man, did he, he knows some stuff. And, you know, it was once said, I asked my father when his father passed away 10 years ago this August, 25th of August, 10 years ago. I asked him, I said, Dad, I've heard it said that you really become a man when your father passes away and you have to take on that responsibility. You no longer have that next level. I said, is that true? He said, I hadn't thought about it a whole lot, but I think it is. There's a lot of weight that comes with the pressures of being a father. There's a lot of demand, a lot of pull on fatherhood. And unfortunately, a lot of fatherhood and the fatherhood movement and being a father in America has been dumbed down by feminists and people who are trying to take masculinity from, from the man that God put, God made us to be masculine. God made us to be men. God, I'm talking about a man's man. Amen. I like being a man's man. I mean, no question where I'm at is I'm, I'm a man's man. Amen. I don't care if it's Pride Month or not. I'm a man's man, amen? And if you're a man, got a man, you got issues. I'm, I'm telling you, you got issues. In Jesus' name, you need to be saved, amen? Hallelujah. There's a study that shows that more than three-fourths of moms identify the family to be their highest priority. So three-fourths of you mothers. At the same time, the majority of mothers strongly agree that their faith is very important in their life. In contrast, fathers also tend to list the family as their top priority in life, yet they are much less likely to equally attribute the importance of faith into their life. Now, that's a Barna study. That's not a church thing. That's just a Barna study of random people that the man has decided will let the woman be the spiritual leader. That, that's not that important stuff. Let's just kind of leave that to the side. I'm here to tell you today, I'm going to get into some scripture in a minute, 
But I'm here to tell you today, and until we get back to the biblical principles of what God called us to be as fathers, as spiritual leaders in our homes, the church will continue to decline. America will continue to decline. The world, as we know, will continue to decline if we do not take our rightful position as spiritual leaders as God has called us. Amen? Let's watch that second video. This is slightly intimidating. <laughs> Dad, what about me makes you proud? Oh, man. Um... Dad, what about me makes you proud? Dad, what about me makes you proud? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Dad, what about me makes you proud? And I have to answer that one? Yes. yes. Just about everything that you do. You're loving. You're funny. I could go on and on. <laughs> what makes me proud about you? is you just being yourself. I had trouble with alcohol, it was actually an intervention. Even with all the other people there, you were the, the real reason that I made the decision to go into the treatment center that I did, and uh, thank you. Thank you. You're helpful. Yeah. You forgot the funny part. <laughs> Your attention to uh, hygiene. Dad, I am grateful to you for choosing to stay when I was little. Mm -hmm. um, Why am I crying? <laughs> At the time when I'm graduating and I'm packing up and leaving, then it's really going to hit me. And I think about a time when if you're not around, like that would be awful. But like you're the, you're the person that would always laugh. Dad, I'm grateful because we didn't know how long you were going to be with us, so... We're so happy you're still here. Dad, I'm proud of you for knowing that the most important thing was to just give your kids so much time. I've always been impressed by you. You made it easy. Thanks. I miss having the chance to just check in with you. I miss your sketchbooks. I love you. I love you too. We don't say it enough. Hey, <laughs> let me do it. <laughs> it doesn't compute until they're gone. <laughs> so tell them now. It's sort of weird standing so close to you. <laughs> <laughs> you watch these little videos and stuff and it's like wow and I have a son-in-law that's just awesome that sends me this stuff and says I think this would be good y'all think I come up most of this on my own most of you know I don't uh, got a good team here and uh, they think man this is amazing 
If you still have your father, that's even more wonderful. Uh, my father's 77. And wow. Can we get real? Can I, I want to do like I do on Wednesday nights. Can I just get real with you on, on Sunday mornings? Be okay to let my guard down just a little bit? Not be the guy behind the suit? And just. I don't believe that. Nothing. <laughs> There's a lying spirit in the house. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um. So today, I, I called my father. I hope that if your father's alive, you called your father. And I called him, like say, 77, and I said, Dad, what are you doing? Of course, my dad's, a, I guess I'm like him. He works a lot, loves the Lord a lot. So I asked him, I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, son, I'm, I'm finishing cutting hay. as a cattle, cattle ranch, and, and uh, now he wasn't going to miss church, so don't get, don't get any ideas. He just finished it. And uh, I said, well, I just want to call and wish you a happy Father's Day. He said, well, thank you. Happy Father's Day to you. You know, the normal stuff. I'll try to do this and cry. It's not a question of am I going to cry. I'm going to cry. So I'm just going to try to do it and cry. So I said, Dad, we don't talk a whole lot about these things because my dad's a very quiet, just reserved kind of guy. But I had a special day today. Today was the second day that I had ever heard my father say, I love you. Now, I know he did. There's never been a question. Don't ever think that he is just that person. So I thanked him for teaching me the value of work. I thanked him for that. I thanked him for the value of commitment and faithfulness to the Lord. His response. Son, without the Lord, we're nothing. I've never heard my dad be this. It doesn't sound much to maybe some of you, but that's intimate to my dad for him to express that. His way was to show and not talk. But for him to express, son, without Jesus, you're nothing. I shared with you uh, three weeks ago, I went to be with my father and my mother with, for 52 years of ministry service. And some of you were here, but I'll say it again, that during that I learned that my father's favorite verse was John 3.16. And as they read John 3.16, sitting behind my father, watching him wipe the tears. You know what that spoke to me? Some 55 years or 56, 57 years after getting saved, that verse still means something. That word of God still stands true after 50 Five years of knowing Jesus, it still has power. Then they sang his favorite song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. 
Sounds a whole lot like John 3.16. So if your father is still alive today, if your father and your son is alive today, share these things with them while it is. Don't, don't wait till we're laying our fathers in a casket to tell them how good they were. If we express how good they are now, they're liable to be ten times better. There's something about when a, when a child speaks to his father that motivates him to a whole other level. I believe it's a lot like speaking to our Heavenly Father. It's a whole new level. It's a, whole, it's a game changer when we start communicating with our Heavenly Father. Something that we should be doing. If you have your Bibles, I want to share with you a, a word. In Genesis chapter 27, starting at verse 30, this is the story where Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And as you know the story, uh, Rebekah was, the, was the, the mother of these two boys. And, but Rebekah, the mother, loved Jacob, it seems and appears to be, more than Esau. Esau was the oldest, and Esau was in line for the father's blessing, for the, if you will, the inheritance. The, there was something about when a father in Old Testament blessed the elder son, it was irrevocable. It wouldn't change. It was there. We've gotten away from blessing our children, our sons and our daughters as fathers. We've gotten away from, from living a life that should be irrevocable, loving a God that is unchangeable. And we have gotten to, away from, a, uh, from that and says, well, God and Christianity and church and the culture and religion is just an optional thing. When in reality... God should be the main thing. God should be the unchangeable thing, the anchor that never moves. It's the very thing that holds the buoy to the bottom of the ocean floor. That's how solid we should be as fathers. That when the waves come and we're tossed and, and life happens and, and disappointments come and, and death and disease and sickness and all of these things come, that we are still standing firm on God's Word. And until the fathers... Take our rightful position in the Word of God. Get anchored in the Word of God. Get, get, if you will, concreted in the Word of God. Our children will drift further and further away from God. You see it now. In the 70s and even early 80s, a church like this of this size would be packed today. We didn't quit having kids. We quit bringing kids to church. And we quit being spiritual fathers in our homes. And now we're reaping the benefits, if you call them benefits. You're reaping what you sow. In Genesis 27, verse 30, I'll pick up the story that Jacob is now fixing, or Isaac is fixing to do the blessing. 
And now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had, uh, that Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. So Isaac sent Esau out to hunt to bring him some venison because he was going to bless him. And there was deceit involved here. In verse 31, he says, He also made me savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat as, as his son's game that your, soul, that your soul may bless me. And his father, Isaac, said to him, Who are you? He's speaking to Esau now, already given the blessing to Jacob. And he says, well, who are you? Esau says, well, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Verse 34 says, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing." And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Verse 37. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren, and I have given him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Verse 39, Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. I want to bring out a few things today in this passage of Scripture. In verse 35. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessings. Fathers, I want to challenge you today to be careful who you are allowing in your life because they may very well determine how you bless your kids. Who you hang around with, who you run with, who you converse with has a, a, a direct effect on how you treat and how you talk to your kids. There's something about the deceit that the enemy has put in front of us as fathers. Somehow we, we forget that the devil, he is a very subtle, he's very deceiving and cunning. The Bible says that he's the most cunning and crafty um, enemy that you have. And yet we let, we let people come into our lives that we know are not godly. We allow them to speak into our kids, into our grandchildren that are not 
that is not godly advice. Watch, fathers, grandfathers, watch who you allow to be in your life. Because deceit often time comes under the guise of friendship. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters. You can be friends with someone that is not spiritual and it won't be good for you. How are you going to win the lost? You don't have to be their best friend. You preach Jesus and the gospel to them, they come to know Jesus, then you can be their friend. Amen. Pastor, you're doing real good. Thank you. What we know from this passage of Scripture, if you read a little bit above where I started, we understand that Rebecca, the mother of Jacob, was listening outside the tent, if you will. She was listening and wanted to help, watch this, in the deceitfulness of stealing a blessing from one of her own kids. From Esau to Jacob. You must be careful, fathers, grandfathers. It is of the utmost importance that you listen to God and God only when teaching and directing your children in spiritual matters. Anything else, anything less than hearing from the Lord will cause you to fall into a deceitful fatherhood. Verse 37. Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as his servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? Fathers, we must be careful, very careful, who our master is. The problem is, so many times we as fathers, God made us this way to be a good provider to take care of the needs of the family, to be what we're supposed to be. But if we're not careful, we make work, money, things, our gods. We make those our masters. And when we make those things our masters, we hand those off to our children to say, these things are important to your daddy. And children, fathers, um, 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 daughters and sons look at us fathers and they say if it's important to them, it probably should be important to me. We've got to be careful who we allow to be the masters of our fatherhood. It comes in many forms. It comes in, in forms that are, that are good. We should work. The Bible says that we should work and provide and enjoy the fruit of our labor. The Bible says that if man don't work, don't let him eat. But you can get to the point where that's all you do and you forget the matters of the Lord. You forget that you're making work and money a God to you. You're making the things. You're saying, well, I want to do these things with my family. It really infuriates me when I hear people say, well, I went on 19 vacations this year because, you know, it's God and family. You're a lie. You've been deceived. 
the most important place you can take your family is to the church house. You can be involved in ministry and your kids can get involved in ministry and they can love to do ministry. They say, well, they'll get burned out. Well, just because you don't have right relationship with it, with the Lord don't mean they, don't, they will. Oh, I get tired. But I don't get burned out. My kids thought vacation was going on a summer trip with the youth group. That's what we did. I've had people tell me to my face, well, you're just going to burn out your kids. They're just going to go church too much. Well, that's stupidity. I mean, at its highest. I didn't mean ignorance. You don't know. I mean stupidity. That is crazy. No, if you, if you love the Lord and love Him correctly and you, and you get in God's Word and you're after Him, no, this is not a chore. Serving the Lord should be something we want to do with enjoyment and excitement. Worshiping the Lord is something we ought to want to do. I didn't say you didn't get tired. We're all physically housed in a physical body. We get tired. I understand that. But dear Lord, this should be the place that we want our kids to be on a regular basis. I'm not talking about not going on vacation. I like to go on vacation. But if you've got to go on eight or ten a year, you need to change jobs. Come on. You need to trip down the altar. You and your wife need to trip down the altar. Something ain't going right at your place. I'm just telling you the way it is. Something ain't right. Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. I do not know what you're going through because I haven't been there. I followed Christ to the best of my ability. I'm telling you, this thing works. So, Pastor, I don't know if you, you know what I'm going through. I don't think you know what, what it's like. I do. I don't see my, well, one of my kids is in here. I think he's had two youth pastors. I was one of them for the most part of his youth. Is he perfect? No, not like his daddy yet. <laughs> I hadn't taught him everything I know. He can tell you, I've never once told him, son, once he moved out, you got to come to church. I've never required him to be at this church. I didn't have to. I've never once told my daughter, you'd come to church. Not after they got out of the house. Hey, when you're in my house, you got to go. Can I get an amen back here, son? You're going to go, period. Because it's mine. And you're mine. Till you do you, you're mine. And you got to come to church. This thing works. This thing works. Because God designed it to work as a family unit. To, to, to serve the Lord. We go to seminars. They want us to go to these seminars on how to build a church. I'll tell you this. I went to a seminar one time. I was one of the speakers at, at, in Little Rock on how to build a rural church. They asked me, so what do you do? I don't know what we do. How do you build a church? I said, well, just uh, uh, the Holy Spirit leading you. No, but what do you do? Uh, We pray. No, but what do you do? I said, I don't guess I understand the question. 
if you seek the Lord, seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, everything else is going to work out. Amen. Fatherhood and relativism. Fatherhood and relativism. Now let me tell you what relativism is. It is simply you having a truth about something and me having a truth about something and we saying, okay, that's kind of where we are. Problem is we do that within the context of biblical principles. Well, I don't see it quite that way and I don't see it quite that way and so we come up with our own truth. And so fatherhood has said, well, I'll develop what I want to be truth and to teach my kids. The problem is nobody's been reading the Bible to know what the absolute truth is. The Bible says that the Word of God is truth. He's the truth. And so when we deviate from reading this Bible, when we deviate from practicing an application of His Word, then you come up with your own truth. Bryson had to step out, but I guarantee you he has this statement given to him many times. Well, I was only going 57 and it's just 55 miles an hour. Well, what's your point? Well, it was just two miles, two miles an hour over the speed limit. And what's your point? Well, it wasn't that bad. See, the, the truth in this situation is 55 miles an hour is the speed limit, not 57. Here's what we do. We ease a little bit past the speed limit now. Next month, because you don't see anybody, well, they don't give tickets right through here. If there's not a person alive that's ever went through Wilmot, Arkansas, don't slow down. <laughs> Hello. Gould. When you hit the concrete, to concrete, that's our sign. You better drop her down because you're going to get a ticket if anything else. You know why? Because you understand absolute truth is 65 miles an hour. And one mile an hour over that gets you a $400 ticket. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we just kind of make up our own truth as we go. Oh, this sounds good. It looks good. I mean, it's guised in the premise of, of some kind of gospel. So that's what the devil did with, with Eve. He, he snuck in deceit wrapped in truth. Do you think the devil's changed his tactics, fathers? It's okay for you to miss. Every now and then, I agree. As the old saying goes, the more you miss church, the less you miss church. Well, preacher, you just want us to come so we can give. Well, you said that about another church, but it ain't this one. Fathers, I'll just, while I'm here, I'll talk about money. Get this in, because I don't talk about it much. Your kids ought to watch you write out the check to drop in that box or go online. They ought to help you. They ought to help you make out your tithe check or your offering, whatever it is. They need to be explained. My son knew what tithing and offering was way before he got on his own. My granddaughter's four years old. Now, it's a struggle. She's got, man, she likes money. 
I mean, she is a blonde-headed, I-like-money kind of gal. <laughs> we were one day at the pizza place, Pasquale's. She had earned some money for doing a chore. Come on. I'm the only one to get to give her money for nothing. Mom and Daddy got to make her earn something. Come on. <clears throat> she had done a, uh, uh, I don't know what it was, but there's several days there. She didn't, she didn't, uh, she accomplished what she, instead of they gave her some money. I said, and I told her the first of that. Oh, no, it was. She's getting rid of her pappy. If you go, if you go 10 days without that pappy, we're going to give you some money. You go buy a toy. That's a motivator. I let her skip a few times. I'm going to be honest. Amen. My relativism. My trick. My wife got up one morning and said, how did she get that pappy? I don't know. She got up in the middle of the night. I didn't know she was awake. Followed me in there and said, Pop. I miss my pappy. I said, well, that's not a problem. Open the drawer and stick it in. Go get back in bed. Don't tell anybody where you got it. She earned her money. So one day, we were at Pasquale's, and I gave her a bonus. And I said, now, look, you, you got to give, I, I think I gave her $2. Okay. So that's 20 cents. And we're trying to f- get her to figure out that she got to give money to the Lord plus what she had earned. And she wasn't having that. What she had earned in the $2 was going to be a six quarter, a dollar and 50 cents. That's what it all turned out to be. And I said, now you, 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 you got to give a dollar plus half of this one. Papa, I won't be able to buy any toys. I said, oh, no, you're going to be be able to buy toys. You ever tried to explain tithing to a four-year-old that's smarter than you are? So I finally come up with this plan between me and her mother that if we had some quarters and we said, well, look how much smaller these quarters are than that dollar bill. You can give six of these and you don't have to give up any of your dollar bills. Oh, she liked that idea. She keep all the paper money. The Lord still got a dollar fifty. You just got to play. You're supposed to be the father. You're supposed to be smarter than your kids. So there's this thing about tithing. You got to teach your kids to tithe. You got to teach your grandkids to tithe. You got to teach them to give in the offering. You got to teach them to give to an orphanage. You got to teach them to give when when money's taken up. You got to teach them. It's called fatherhood. Well, I, I tell you, you, shut right down on me. Until my dad money, you just shut right down on me. Just cut it off. So you having your truth and me having my truth is no truth. We must, we must, without exception, we must stand on the truth of God's word in order to raise our children correctly so that they'll still be in love with Jesus when they get older. If your biography is not being written by your theology, then your theology is incorrect. Listen to that again. If your biography, your life, is not written by 
your theology, good theology, biblical theology, then your theology is incorrect. Your biography is going to be wrong. No matter whether you think it's true or not, it's still wrong. If it's not based on God's word, it's incorrect. I'm going to close just a moment. I've got some Baptist friends here, and you're going to beat them down there today. Leland, you didn't know that you, amen. You can probably beat them back over to Monticello to the restaurant. Methodist, okay. <laughs> amen. Glory to God. <laughs> I like that. Amen. Here's the deal, fathers. It's my challenge to you. If you're not sold out and in love with Jesus, if you're not following every principle in that Bible to the best of your ability, I didn't say perfection. But if you're not following, if you're not making application to that word in your life, you know that you're giving them another master to your children? Do you know you're deceiving your children? When you say church is not important, you're deceiving your children. When you put other things in front of God and reading your Bible and, and praying with your children, you know what you're saying? That's just not that important. You don't really have to pray, son. That's your mother's job. She, she's going to pray for everybody. I've said this before, and we're going to play our last video. It's an audio. I've said this before. I think one of the torments in hell will be this. Children, sons and daughters, maybe mothers as well, but sons and daughters, constantly asking their dad, why didn't you tell us? that we needed to be in love with Jesus? Why didn't you tell us that church was important? Why didn't you tell us that reading God's word was important? Why didn't you tell us that we're supposed to pray? Why did you, why did you allow us to go and do all those things every weekend? Why did you allow that? Why did you not set us down and say, no, we're going to read God's word. No, we're going to pray together as a family. Why did you not do that? It's going to be one of the greatest torments ever, I think, in hell. That we knew, yet we didn't. Teach our kids. That'd be one of the most horrible things I've, I would ever experience. To know that I didn't teach my kids about godly principles. But at the, least, at the least, we should give them an opportunity to choose Jesus or reject him. And I'm telling you, if you don't bring them to church and you're not praying with them at your house and you're not speaking God into, into their lives when you're working, when you're out doing this and you're out doing that, I'm telling you, you, you are taking away the opportunity for them to know how Jesus can work in your life. Your stuff is not the most important thing in your life. Your work is not the most important thing in your life. Is it important? Yes. But it is not the most important thing. Your family, knowing Christ is the most important thing you could ever do for your family. And to say anything otherwise means you're living in your own relativism, your own truth. It is not true. It is not correct. 
The Bible speaks specifically to the man to be the spiritual leader in the home, to raise up the uh, children, to train them, not the mother. True masculinity comes through the Word of God. Knowing Him, it's okay to fall in love with Jesus as a man. Say, I love Him with all of my heart and let your kids see it. Fathers, our kids should see us worship a holy God. They should see us and hear us pray to Him. When things aren't going right, our children need to know that we're prayers. But yet we think that's for Mama. Me go out and do my thing. That's mama's job. Mama's a support role, by the way. Daddy takes it by the reins. Now I'm preached better than you amen me today. This is real stuff. We need to hear it. And I do it because I love you. I'm not trying to condemn you and beat you up. Here's one last thing before we play this video. Isaac said this to Esau in verse 39, uh, verse 40. And I'm going to paraphrase it. Son, you can break the neck of that yoke that's on you. If you've been yoked down by worldly devices, worldly things, worldly pleasures, you've been chasing after the almighty daughter, you've been doing dollar, you've been doing this, you've been, yes, that's a yoke on you. But the Bible says you can break that yoke off you. All you got to do is say, Jesus, I need you to help me in this area. I repent of what I've done wrong. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about I've been doing wrong, Lord. And I need you to break this yoke, this mastery off me, this deceit that I've been living in, and I need to get right with you. You can break that yoke off. Even in the midst of your bondage, you can break a yoke through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's play that video. Paul, this coming Sunday, of course, is Father's Day. And uh, you had a unique situation, unique relationship with, with your dad, my grandfather. Now, you and my mom, uh, my mom is your sister. And yeah. so I just wanted you to jump right in there and just uh, share your story about your dad. Okay. Grew up like most kids. Uh, dad always made me go to church and, and uh, made me work hard. Uh, we grew up poor, uh, four rooms and a path, I always tell everybody. We didn't even have running water in the house until uh, I was 15 years old. And uh, But Dad was probably a good man, but, you know, 15 years old, I thought he was the dumbest man in all the world because he, uh, he wouldn't let me run with my older cousins and things like that and get in trouble. He, he always had a tight rein on me. But uh, just a few weeks after I turned 15, and I thought I was pretty cocky and smart and knew it all, uh, Dad had a heart attack. The day before, uh, Dad and I had had a big fight, and I'd cussed him and called him everything in the book. Broke his heart, I know I did. But I thought, you know, he's a stupid old man. Laying up in the hospital room, and uh, they said he was going to be okay, and my sister went over and uh, your mom, Jay, and, and went and hugged him, told him she loved him. My older brother, David, went and did the same thing. Me, I stood in the doorway, uh, a 15-year-old cocky kid that I was, and gave him an old two-finger salute from my right brow. Well, anyway, my life after that went to, pardon the expression, hell in a handbasket. Uh, I began to drink, carouse, and I had a promising career in baseball and, 
and I threw that away just on booze and stuff. Quit school a week before a graduation. A week after that, I, I turned 18. A week after that, I got married. So I was 18 years old for a week and got married. By the time I'm 19, I'm a daddy. By the time I'm 21, I'm a daddy again. And, you know, all through those years, something hated me. It just kept eating and eating and eating, and I kept thinking how dumb my daddy was and, and how bad a relationship that I thought we had. Finally, you know, I had children of my own, and I was drinking, and finally, when, when I was 27, I found out what was eating at me. It was my own guilt for what had happened. I heard my little boy say as I walked up the porch one day about half drunk, he said, told the neighbor kid, when I grow up, I want to be just like my daddy. And I thought, my goodness, Lord, if he grows up to be like me, he won't be worth shooting. I went that night to a revival meeting and got saved. And Jay, I want you to know, when I got on my knees and prayed, I knew right then that I was forgiven of everything, of everything that ever was. I knew from that point forth how really intelligent and loving my daddy really was. And the rest of that story is, when I gave him that two-finger salute and walked out of that hospital, my daddy died 15 minutes later. I never got to tell him I was sorry until I got on my knees at that church altar and got forgiveness for everything. And you know, the longer I live, the smarter I know daddy was and how loving man he was and how good man he was. I know there's men and women, there's teenagers, and there's boys and girls that think they're way smarter than their parents. But I can tell you from experience, you don't know how much they care for you, you don't know how much you break their hearts, and you don't know how smart they are and how much you will miss them when they're gone until they are gone. And don't carry away on that grief and that guilt of unforgiveness. You make it right with them while they're still alive, and you won't have to live the life I did for all those years until I got saved. If you're out there today and you're not reconciled with your parents, if you've got the things in between your and your parents that's not right, you get them taken care of today. If you don't know Jesus, ask him into your heart. It'll be the greatest decision you'll ever make. And I pray that God bless you today and that somehow this testimony will bless you and change your life in Jesus' name because that's what we're here for. God bless you. I uh, I heard that the other day on AFR. And I texted our friend JJ and said, my God, man, quit playing this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm crying. I can't hardly see going down the road. I said, are you going to post that? Can I, can I use that Sunday? He said, I'll post it over just a minute on Facebook. And, and I got to thinking about that whole deal. You know, I know that people in this room probably have had that same experience maybe maybe you were at odds with your your mother or your father when they passed away maybe there was some reconciliation that needed to be made that never got made and and you you hadn't been able to deal with that but I want you to know there's a there's a loving father that stands ready For you to come to him and say, Lord, I, I repent. I want forgiveness of that. And he'll forgive you just like your earthly father would have. I can assure you. I can't think of anything that I wouldn't forgive my own fleshly children. I can't, can't think of one thing that I wouldn't forgive them from. 
I might not lock everything down, but there, I don't, can't, can't think of one thing, Mr. Leland, not one thing that I wouldn't forgive them from. I'd welcome them, and we'd get back in right relationship. See, they never stopped being my children. I said, right, but listen, I'm talking about where, see, these things keep us from going deeper in God. This unforgiveness and this hurt and this pain keeps you from expressing really what you need to express to your own children. Because you're dealing with something, you're trying to fix something that you can't fix. So if you'll stand across this building, You say, Pastor, I came today thinking something totally different. You'd give out a few gifts to some fathers that had the most kids or whatever. I didn't know we was going to deal with this stuff in my heart. I didn't know we was going to deal with that deep stuff. I thought this was going to be just a good old Father's Day message and we'd go eat somewhere. Well, this is a good old Father's Day message. This is what you need to be healed. This last little audio has related to you. Right where you are, I want every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, please. No one looking around. This is a very private moment. This, is not a, this one is not really about salvation. This is a, this is a thing about hurling, hurt, healing some hurts. No one's looking around. Say, Pastor, I can identify with that. Some things I wanted to say. While my father was alive. While my mother was alive. There's some things I, I should have said. I, I, I wanted to, but I didn't. Fetch you and you, you need prayer. I want you to just slip your hand right up and right back down. Just right up. I see that hand. I see that hand. See that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Are there any others? Anyone? Male or female? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, Holy Spirit, do a work. It's never too late. never too late right where you are I want you to fall on the mercies of the Lord I want you to simply say Lord I've been dealing with some stuff for years I need to get it right I need to make it right with you and maybe that, that parent has went on. You say, I can't make it right with him. When you ask the Lord to help you and forgive you of that, guess what? It is just like your earthly father or mother saying, you are forgiven, I, I, I want you back. If you raised your hand in this building, everybody still, still eyes closed and heads bowed.
you raised your hand in, in this building. Say a prayer something like this. Father, I give to you all of my hurt and all of my pain, all of my unforgiveness. Lord, that thing that I should have dealt with years ago, Lord, that I didn't, Lord, I, I want to deal with it now. Lord, I repent of that. I was wrong. Lord, work on me that I may be better for my children and my grandchildren. That I may show them the mercy and grace that you're showing me right now. If you prayed that simple little prayer or something very similar to it, know that God He's okay with you. He's just okay with you. If your parent is still alive and you raised your hand, I suggest you give them a call today. Swallow your pride. It's not worth it. It's not worth them going to a grave and you not saying something when you have an opportunity. And if you're a father here, you say, well, I don't even know this Jesus you're talking about. I don't even know how to follow biblical principles. I've never asked him into my heart. I, I don't even know how to do, do this Jesus thing. If that's you, will you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray with you. Will you slip it up and right back down if that's you? I want to be, a, I, I want to know Jesus. You don't know Him as your Savior. You don't know where you'd spend eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for being the restorer, the repairer of a breach. Lord, that takes all of my shortcomings, all of my disappointments, all of my failures, all of those things that have been just a mess, that turmoil that I've dealt with for years. I thank you, Lord, for taking that from us. Lord, I pray for wisdom and direction and guidance for our fathers. Lord, as we try to be a better father than we've ever been. Lord, as we look to your principles in the Word of God to lead our kids, it's never too late. doesn't matter if they're newborns or they're 12 or 13 or 14 or 15. Start today. I, I challenge you, fathers, start today. It's never too late. Be a father that God called you to be. Fathers, we leave this place today. I pray you'd bless every father. Lord, I pray blessings would flow to them. I pray increase would come their way. Job promotions, finances would increase. Lord, I pray that your face would shine upon them. Though they would find favor with you 
And Lord, peace. That peace that passes all understanding would rest upon every rooftop. And a sweet sleep would come to us today. So we lay down tonight, this afternoon, that sweet, sweet sleep and rest would come. And Father, I pray that you would be with Jimmy Bell's family today. And the Norcross family today. Lord, as the family members that are left here have walked up to death's door with their loved one and experienced that hurt and that pain and that emptiness, that anguish, the unanswered questions of why. Lord, I pray that you would wrap your arms of love and mercy and compassion about them. Lord, you're the only one that can help them through this time. There's no healing for this. There's just your comfort. Time will make things somewhat better, but there's still a hole. There's still a piece of their life that cannot be filled with any other person. So, Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you'd give them rest in their homes too, Lord as they face the difficult decisions ahead. Uncharted waters. We thank you, Father. And we give you praise and we give you glory and we give you honor. In the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen.